This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. All right, church, if you'll take out your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 1, we're going to read verses 12 through 26. Again, that's Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. So then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the, to the upper room. They went to the upper room, which is in verse <laughs> uh, 13. And, okay, so, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Thank you, Brandon. Well, I'm excited to be uh, preaching finally in the book of Acts. Uh, Adam, of course, did a fantastic job, and Drew as well. We're so blessed in our church to have uh, guys who can stand up and, and do this along with me. I always say that, but it's just always true, and it's a joy. But now it's my turn. Now I get to preach, and I've been fired up for this for quite a while because I love this book. And um, I, I want to talk to you this morning, if I can, 
about uh, this thing called the melodic line of Scripture, the melodic line of Scripture. That's not an idea original with me at all. In fact, I'm reading a book right now called Expositional Preaching by David Helm. And uh, you always want to work on the things that you do, and I'm just always working on the preaching. And uh, this book has been really, really encouraging. Here's a cool story. So I'm reading this book right, by David Helm, and um, I'm listening to it uh, as I'm driving to work. I got the audio version and the, and the print version. And he starts talking about this melodic line that goes throughout a book. Like every book has a melody. So, so I, I stopped and I'm like, man, before I get too much further in Acts, like I got to find this melodic line. I got to be sure I'm doing a good job and doing it justice. What's the melodic line in the book of Acts? I'm kind of stressing about it, right? And, and I'm listening to the book again. I'm reading it again. And I'm like, man, what is that melodic line? Well, God is good to me. I am uh, watching a conference with the GCC, the organization that we belong to and help church plant with. And I'm, I'm watching this conference, and, and one of the speakers is David Helm. And David Helm stands up, and he starts talking about the melodic line. And I'm like, hey, Court, I've been studying about this right now. Shh. Yeah, okay. So we're watching it together. And, and, and I'm like, that's, that's the melodic line. And he said, well, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to show you the melodic line in the book of Acts. And I was like, woo, baby. Like, gosh, I'm trying to watch this. And I was like blown away that God would just, would just do that for me. And so here's what I get to do for you. I'm going to just unpack for you what I believe he's doing in our portion of the text and really showing you this melodic line, these things that are going to be emphasized over and over and over in the book of Acts as, as pertains to the church, but not just the church also or, or, or in Acts, but also throughout all of the epistles, these things, that, these notes that become part part of the melodic line, and I hope that's going to be helpful to you. Because what he's doing here in our portion of the text is he's setting it all up. I think Luke is setting up the story. I think the apostles are getting ready. They're setting up the foundation for the church. And as Luke does it, he unpacks certain phrases, certain themes that become the melodic line for the whole book. Now, here's what we're going to do. We want to be God's kind of church. I mean, Acts is the story of the church. That's what it is. It's a narrative. It's a story of the church's foundation and flourishing in the early days. But that's our story. Say that with me. Say, that's our story. Tell your neighbor, that's your story. It's our story together, man. We're a part of this, and I want to be God's kind of church. Do you want to be God's kind of church? So let's just commit to this together. Let's just commit to live as God's kind of church. That's the big idea of the day. What is that church? And we're going to hit these beautiful highlights that are here that become themes that show us the melodic line that will help us. And I want you to see the first one, which is this. If we're going to be God's kind of church, we're going to have to have a commitment to unity, a commitment to unity. Well, pastor, why did you say that? Well, let's go back to the text again. Acts chapter 1, verse number 12. Luke, the author of Acts, as both Adam and Drew pointed out so well, is speaking, and he's telling this next part of the story. He says this in verse number 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem. Now, they just watched Jesus ascend into heaven. Now, they're going back to Jerusalem from the mountain called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying. And Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these were with one accord and were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and to Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. All right, 
So there's a lot there, right? There's a whole bunch of stuff we could talk about. That's good. It's all the Bible. It's all good. And we could talk about a lot of things. Is this the same upper room where they had the Last Supper? Could be. Why did, why did Luke choose this order of the disciples? Why did he, because it's ordered differently in other places. Why? Don't know. Doesn't really say. But, but what I want to kind of land on today are some of these, again, these notes, these themes that are really important. Take a look at verse number 14 where it says, and it's all really important, but we're, what I believe that we're trying to emphasize today. Look at verse number 14. All these, do you notice the phrase with one accord? Do you see that? One accord. That's a really interesting Greek word. And it's, it's one that is used 12 times in the New Testament, and Luke uses it 10 times in the book of Acts. It is all through the book of Acts, this idea of being united, of having one accord. It's kind of like this. This is a strong concordance talks about this Greek word like the notes of a chord. And if you know music at all, you know that there's individual notes. Right? And together they make a chord. So yeah, they're kind of pretty on their own, but when they're together, there's a harmony that's there. There's a chord that's there. And that's the idea behind this Greek word is, yes, they were all individuals, and you see them, list them out. There's quite a few there. There's a zealot, which is really like a professional uh, terrorist. He was against Rome and wanted to see Rome tore down, so Simon was a zealot. That's one odd individual note, could have been really hard to get along with, who knows? Uh, the text mentions women, and at that time, women were, were seen of lesser value, and the fact that they're mentioned and included as one of the pillars of the early church was somewhat scandalous for Luke to point out. Hey, and then, then there's Mary and Jesus' brothers. Do you remember what was going on with Mary and Jesus' brothers when Jesus was ministering? They were trying to get him to stop. They thought he was crazy, but now he's risen. They see it. They become believers. In fact, James becomes the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. But there's all kinds of things that could have made them discorded. But, but no, they were together and they were of one accord. They were harmonious of the same mind. And that becomes a theme throughout the book of Acts. Let me show you a few of the places where that's located. Take a look at Acts 1, or sorry, Acts 2.1, Acts 2.1, where it says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one, all together, all together, there it is again in one place. Look at the end of Acts 2, Acts 2, take a look at verse number 42, check this out. So Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and wonders and signs were done through the apostles and all who believed were, here it is again, here's that word, together. And they had all things in common. I mean, we can just keep going. In Acts 6, there's a threat to the togetherness because some of the widows were being neglected. And so the church pauses and they get deacons in place to minister, to maintain the unity. We could go all the way forward to Acts 20 where Paul's addressing the uh, Ephesian elders and he says, man, there's going to come wolves that are going to try to separate the church. But you need to be committed and help them to stay together. Theme all throughout Acts. Then Paul picks it up. And he's teaching in the churches. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 4. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4 with me. I got it here on the screen for you. Ephesians chapter 4 says this. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, here it is, church, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Do you get the idea? One, 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 one. Why does Paul have to tell the church to be one? What is it to tell the church, hey, maintain, be eager to maintain the unity? Why is it to tell them that? Because churches have a tendency to try to get divided and to fight with one another. Do you know that? If you're here this morning and you've been a part of a church split, like you've been in a church where you've seen it happen, would you raise your hand? Do you know that we've only been around for eight, nine years in the first like three or four years of our church, we had a large group of people split away from us, frustrated by something that we didn't even do. And this just happens. This is the life of a church. In fact, <clears throat> there was this guy on a desert island. Desert or, or deserted? Desert or deserted? I don't know. He's on this island. All alone, has been alone for years, and finally he was rescued. And when they came, they found there were three different huts on this island. And they were asking, well, why, why do you have all these huts? And he said, well, I live in one, I go to church in the other. Okay, that's interesting. But why are there three? Well, that was a church I used to go to, and then we had a split. And then now <laughs> I go to... It's common. But that won't happen here. That's not going to be us. We're not going to have that kind of shenanigans going on at Redemption Bible Church. How do we ensure that? How are we careful that that doesn't happen? Denny, would you stand on that back corner back there? Uh, Kevin, would you stand on that back corner back there? Uh, let me get Jay. Would you mind coming to this corner over here? And then, uh, Larry, you're real handy. Uh, why don't you stand on that corner over there? So I got Denny, I got Kevin, I got Jay, and I got Larry. And these guys are divided. They can't get along about nothing. They're constantly at each other. But, you know, they're all divided. They're on various corners of the issue. But if I said, guys, come here, come here, come on, gather in, rally here, rally here. You got to move, you got to move. Come on, some, some are harder than others. So come on, let's move, let's come together. I'm doing this. I was in the army, and when you were in the army, if you're in infantry, you know this is the signal for rally, to come together, to come together. Come on, come on. So now they, they, they have something in common. They're drawn to a rally point. They're drawn to a rally point. They're going to find unity. Instead of being diverse, now they're united around that rally point. Thank you, guys. Have a seat, if you would. If we as a church are going to stay united and make unity an emphasis of what we do, man, we got to have the rally point. We got to have the thing in common that keeps us together. And listen to me, that thing in common has got to keep rising up in your heart as more important than your agenda, your desires, your significance, your whatever. That's why church is split. Some dude gets power hungry. Some, some family gets, gets all geared up about one little thing and they fail to see the impact of the thing we do together. So what is it, man? What's our rally point? Well, I'm going to do what Adam and Drew so, did, did so well and we're going to go back to Luke 24. Here's Luke 24. I'll put on the screen for you. You can turn there if you like. I love you turning in your Bible, but it's on the screen for you as well. Luke 24, and this is... 
the other story, Jesus, uh, um, uh, Luke told this twice in the end of Luke, at the beginning of Acts. But watch what he says here. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, there's so much here, and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins must be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem and you are my witnesses to these things. Do you see it? Do you see it? What's our rally point? What's going to unite us as a church and keep us fired up and going together? Listen, this is what it is. You've been given a mission, and that mission is the proclamation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that people can repent and sins can be forgiven. Here it is, a love for Jesus and a commitment to his mission is our rally point. Say that with me, would you? A love for Jesus and a commitment to his mission is our rally point. That's our rally point. We got to keep that high. And there are things that could divide us. We're trying to figure out this whole building thing right now. And, and, and who knows, maybe one day in the future we're going to have to talk about the color of a carpet. Yeah, I'm serious. We might do that. Now, here's the reality. That's not going to be up for a vote, okay? We're just going to decide and do it. But uh, maybe you don't like the carpet we chose or the paint we chose or the building plan that we put forward together. I can tell you your elders love you and we're committed to finding the best thing we believe that God is leading us to, but we've got it wrong before. Maybe you don't like what we chose. Well, I want to just get a group of people that don't like it as well and take off and go do your own thing and pick out your blue carpets. And get the, we're not going to let a building divide us, right? right. Going through staff transitions. Drew is going to start tomorrow in the office. Oh, it's going to be so excited for that. Yeah, praise God for that. Great, do it. And now this is Jill's last week. And so now we've got to figure that out. New st- and, 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 and maybe you like Mary Beth and some of you might like Jane, I don't know, something or other. And, and there could be contention about, I want this and I want that. And, and you know, that could divide us. There's a thousand things that could divide us. But to keep that division from happening, man, we got to just have a love for Jesus and a commitment to his mission, the proclamation of repentance and forgiveness of sins to the nations. That's going to be the most important thing. Amen. All right, church, love you. Commitment to unity. And why are you preaching that? Well, that's the melodic line. That's the note that is hit here and throughout the whole book and we saw in the epistles going forward. Here's something else, a devotion to prayer, a devotion to prayer. Prayer? Pastor, didn't you just like talk a whole bunch about prayer? Why are you talking about prayer again? Well, thanks for asking. Here it is in verse number 14 again. And all these were with one accord, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. That's why I'm talking about it. It's right in the text. And this is awesome. Here, here they are preparing for the Holy Spirit, preparing for the birth of the church. And what are they doing? They're gathering together and they're praying. They're waiting. Jesus told them, don't go until power comes from on high. Don't go until the Holy Spirit comes. He hadn't come yet, and we don't know how long this is. They had a lot to do. They had to tell the whole world about Jesus, and right now there's 120 of them. They know the whole world know. It's a lot to do. Let's get busy. Let's get busy. No, no, no. Wait and pray. 
wait and pray. And they pray here. And believe it or not, I'm sure you do, all throughout the book of Acts, we see him praying. In fact, here's an example. Go to Acts 4. Go to Acts 4 for a minute. And I want you to see this. And we can go to a lot of places. But I want you to take a look at Acts chapter 4. And uh, what happens in Acts chapter 4 is Peter and John are preaching the name of Jesus and they're brought before the council, the religious elite, and they're beaten and told not to preach the name of Jesus. And then this happens in verse number 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. And they pray in 11 and 25. They're quoting scripture to God. They're just, they're praying scripture back to God. And all these things, let your eyes fall down on verse number 29, verse number 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed to the name of your holy servant Jesus. Now watch verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's prayer. What should the church be doing? Praying. Do we believe that prayer is a thing we should be regularly and that God hears and God can shake the foundations of Fort Wayne if we just cry out and ask him. I believe he can. And until he does, we're going to wait and we're going to pray. We're going to wait and we're going to pray. We're not the only ones. I want to talk a little bit about Nehemiah. Uh, I'm studying Nehemiah in my personal devotions right now. love the book of Nehemiah. And if you read Nehemiah, what happens is Nehemiah, I know I've talked about it before, but Nehemiah, is, he's, in, uh, he's, he's serving as a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, and, and uh, his, his uh, kinsmen from Jerusalem come down to kind of hang out. You know, sometimes family, hopefully they call first, but sometimes family comes and they, and they visit. And so here's Nehemiah with his family, and they're talking, and, and Nehemiah asks, how's, how's Jerusalem, man? How are the people returned from the exile? And the report they give is a difficult report, and they say, you know, the people are discouraged, the walls are intact the gate is down, and his heart is broken, and he wants to do something. Now, what, when, you, when you read it, you believe that, okay, they came on Monday. On Tuesday, he goes before the king. Uh, on, on Tuesday, he prays. Wednesday, he's before the king, and by Thursday, he's in Jerusalem. It's kind of how it feels like when you read it. But in reality, it was four months before he heard about the news, and he went to the king. Four months. And what was he doing for four months? Praying and praying. By the way, this is an actual picture of Nehemiah praying. We got that off the internet. Um, <laughs> waiting and praying and waiting and praying. Acts tells us to pray. We could look at Philippians, it tells us to pray. Do not be anxious by anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Look, here's the reality, church. We need to be a people of prayer. And I don't know what this next season is going to hold for us. I, I mentioned on the update, the pastoral update, we're kind of hitting some snags with the whole building process. And uh, when we know more, we'll let you know more and take you along on that whole thing. But, but I don't know what that's going to mean for our church. I know that both services now are getting full again. And so now what are we going to do? And what are the next steps? And, and, and 
God will lead us and God will direct us, but here's what we're going to do through it all. We're going to pray. Prayer doesn't feel, prayer doesn't feel like you're doing much. You're like, I want to go and I want to do something. Well, you are doing. Prayer is action. Prayer is action. Say it with me. Prayer is action. And we're going to take the action and we're going to pray. And God's kind of church where we see the melodic line here, but all throughout the book of Acts and through the epistles is this emphasis, this need to pray. So tell me a little bit about your prayer life. I love how we just went through this as a series, and I know some of you have come back to me and you've said, you know what, we're, I started doing a prayer journal. I'm praying more. And God's answering some prayer. I love that. Keep sharing that with me. It's so encouraging to see you taking the things that you know you need to improve in and, and finding ways of doing that. But let's just be a people and let's just be a church committed to prayer. I'm going to show you something else in the text that's really encouraging as well. Another note in our melodic line. So a commitment to unity, a devotion to prayer, and then this, a passion for the word, a passion for the word. Now, I want to show this to you, and I'll just warn you, I might get a little excited in this section of the sermon, so is that going to be okay? Good, thank you for that, because this is really, really cool. You have this interesting story that happens next in verse number 15. So we're just marching through the text like we always do. Look at verse number 15. It says this, In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of the persons was in all about 120, and said, now watch, 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 watch. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And then it goes out and it talks about Judas. And it's interesting, and we, we could spend some time and focus on that. In fact, I got, I got a couple of slides about what it looked like when his bowels opened up. You want to show those slides for me? No, I really don't have those slides. The, the junior high boys were like, yeah, best sermon ever. But no, we're not going to do that. Um, it's all in Scripture, so it's all important. But I want to pull back and see the uh, overall picture of why is Peter saying what he's saying. Why did Luke record Peter saying what Peter said? Because this section is bookended by two key things. Look at verse 15. A little Bible study. The scripture had to be fulfilled. God's word is important. Then you have it in, take a look at this, verse number uh, 20 it is him quoting the scripture. Here's where the scripture is found, and it has to be fulfilled. It has to be fulfilled. See, it says, it predicted, David predicted in Psalms that there would be a man whose camp became desolate and then let another one take his office. So Peter's like, the rest of this whole chapter is him saying, I want to lead you in being faithful to the word of God. God's word has told us to find another apostle. So we need to find another apostle. And all he's doing is trying to be obedient to the word of God. Why? Hear me now. The word of God is foundational to the health of a church. I'm going to say it again. The word of God is foundational to the health of a church. And Luke knows it and shows it throughout the rest of the book. Now I want to highlight just a few verses for you. Now I'll put a bunch on the screen for you. I'm not going to read every one of them, but, but you see in, in Acts 2, when Peter is preaching, Peter goes to Joel, and then he goes to the Psalms, and he's preaching the word of God in Acts chapter 2. We see it in Acts 31, where they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. I want your eyes to fall, if you would. Would you turn over to Acts chapter uh, 8 and verse number 4? Acts 8, 4, and look at this with me. Uh, now, those who were scattered went about 
preaching the word. What did they do? They preached the word. That's what they did. And, and that's exciting to see. And you see it all throughout scripture. I want your eyes to go all the way over to chapter 14. Chapter 14, take a look at verse number seven. 14 verse number seven says this. Then they continue to, what does it say? Preach the gospel. What was the church doing? It was preaching the gospel. In fact, finally, let your eyes fall on 1920. 1920. And we see this in Acts 19.20. In fact, are you, are you there? Everyone get there. Everyone turn to Acts 19, verse 20. Get your eyes on this. So I want to read this verse together. It's an awesome summary. Because what's happening here is Luke is summarizing the events of, his, of, the, of, the, of the, the story. Hey, this happened, and then watch what God's word did. And then this happened, and this is what happened with the word of God. And so look at this great summary here in 19.20 where it says this. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail. Come on, church. Mightily. Can we read it together? Let's hold it together. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Yes, the word of God going forward. The word of God going forward. In his, his summary, when, when David Helm was given the summary, like I told you about at the beginning of the sermon about the melodic line in the book of Acts, he said this, really? Yes, the book of Acts is a story of the church, but listen, it's the story of the preaching church, of the word-saturated church. That's Acts. And of course the apostles did that because Jesus did that. Here's Luke 24 again. Look at what Jesus did to them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me, where? In the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he can open their mind to understand the church scriptures and said to them, thus it is written. Jesus preached expository sermons. <laughs> Jesus preached exegetical sermons. The church did. Paul was fired up about it. Here's 2 Timothy chapter, looks like you see it in Acts, you see it continuing. I'm just gonna jump to chapter four, verse one, where it says this. I charge, it talks about scripture. By the way, 3.16 says, how much of scripture? All scripture. Then he says in chapter four, verse one, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. So what should we do as a church? All in favor, preach the word, signify by saying aye. aye. Any opposed? Y'all need to find a different church. All right. Uh, <laughs> What I'm, what I'm, I mean, look, I thought, and I, I, you know, I couldn't be more fired up about preaching the word of God than I read this in the book of Acts all this week. <laughs> the preaching of the word, the preaching of the word, the proclamation of the word. And it just makes me say, church, I want you to know that we as elders are absolutely committed to the preaching of the word of God because we believe that's where the power of the church lies. But the church, you need to hear us say that because the church in America today is taking steps away from the preaching of the word of God in order to reach people, they think. How did the church flourish in the book of Acts? By preaching the word. Now, forgive me for maybe throwing one of your favorite Bible teachers under the bus, but 
uh, Andy Stanley recently said, in 2018 he said, the church needs to unhitch itself from the Old Testament. And his contention is that there's a lot in the Old Testament that's, that offends people. And we don't need it to win people to Jesus. We have the resurrection, so we don't need it. But some of the wording that is really concerning, this is actually lifted from their website. He preached a whole sermon on this, wrote a book about it, but this is lifted from their website as a description of that sermon series where he says this, if you were raised on a version of Christianity that, re that relied on the Bible as a foundation of faith, a version that was eventually dismantled by academia or the realities of life, maybe it's time for you to change your mind about Jesus. Maybe it's time for you to consider the version of Christianity that relies on the events of the resurrection of Jesus as a foundation. If you gave up your faith because of something about or in the Bible, maybe you give it up unnecessarily. And what he's trying to say is that, yeah, I knew that Old Testament thing really offended you, but hey, you don't need it. L let me tell you about the resurrection and that's all you need. Well, here's the problem. Uh, where did Jesus go with the apostles when he wanted to show them himself? The Old Testament. The law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. He said himself in Luke 24. At worst, it's heretical. At best, it's problematic. And that's where the church is headed. There's so many people that will follow that and take that. And look, I'm not trying to say we're better than. We're not. Nor am I trying to say you can never listen to Andy Stanley or benefit from one of his teachings. I'm not saying that. I am saying this is a problem. And I want to affirm in you our commitment more than ever <laughs> to the careful preaching of the Word of God. I'll say like this. The power of the church lies with the careful study of and the bold proclamation of the Word of God. Do you affirm that with me? Can you affirm that with me? Can we just say that together? The power of the church lies within the careful study of and the bold proclamation of the Word of God. And I want you to believe that and own that and live in that with us. Okay, here's a question now. Where does the proclamation of the word of God takes, take place? Point to where it takes place. Go ahead, do it. <laughs> now you're confused. I don't know where to point. Some of you, it should take place here. Can I get a witness? Okay, and if the guy stands up here and he doesn't do it, you can fire him. You have my permission to do that, okay? So it needs to happen. Don't be so excited about that, Jaden. Uh, <laughs> yes! Uh, no. Uh, but... But the, the, for here, for sure, yes, but just here, just here? No, in fact, here's what Paul says in Acts. He says this, Acts 20, 18 through 20. Uh, and when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know that when I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you, here it is, in public and from house to house. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing who, church? One another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So, 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 watch. Yes, here to here, but also there to there. And when people come and they say, hey, what do you think about, and man, I got this big thing on me, what should I and you begin to like, oh, let me give you some wisdom. Let that wisdom be drenched in God's word. And admonish one another 
And then we'll gather together and we'll sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs that are saturated in the word. I love that we have a worship pastor that loves God's word so much. And there's, there's, there's a blessing behind having a guy who can both lead in worship and stand in a pulpit and preach. Be the guy that's leading us in that because we want to be committed to the word of God. So some questions for you. First of all, how is your personal Bible reading going? And we want to help you along the way. Watch out for classes. Watch out for things that as soon as we're able, we're going to be offering to you to help deepen that. We want to help you get that to a deeper spot. And if you need help along the way, let us know. You just saw it. I hope you just saw it. Look up those verses that put on the screen, and we'll probably put them up on social media this week so you can see them and be sure you have them. But look how often it's emphasized the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. So if we're going to be God's kind of church, we've got to be all about His Word, both here and there, and let's do that together. A passion for the Word. Now, lastly, I want to show you this. A partnership in the kingdom work. A partnership in the kingdom work. What do I mean by that? Well, here's what I want to do. Yes, there's a melodic line in the book of Acts, but the book of Acts does not stand on its own. The book of Acts is one melodic line among other melodic lines. It's really not just a song, it's a symphony. And so how then does this book, the book of Acts, fit into the whole of the Bible? How does it fit into the story of stories? Well, Jesus was very clear about this in Luke 24. Let me show you this last time. Luke 24, and look at the text on the screen for you, 44 through 48, which says this. Then he said to them, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Now watch that Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. By the way, I want to hear that sermon when I get to heaven. Can I get a witness? I want Jesus to preach that to me. I'm ready to listen. Now, uh, and he said to him, here's the story. He's going to summarize it for them. Watch now, verse 46. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead and that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in my name and to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses. And what we have in Acts is the carrying forward of that story. Your sins can be forgiven because what Christ has done. That's the message. Your sins can be forgiven for what Christ has done. Now proclaim that to everybody, church. We're going to start here. We're going to go to the end of the earth. And here's what's cool. Let me show you this little map here. Here's, uh, here's Jerusalem uh, on the map. You can put that up there in the screen. So there's the world. There's Jerusalem specifically. Isn't that cool? And now here's Fort Wayne. So it's kind of happening, isn't it? And you're a part of that story. Would you just say, I'm a part of that story? Say it. What part? The proclamation that forgiveness of sins is possible. They may not tell you, but your neighbors and your coworkers are racked with guilt. They may never say it, they have great shame for things they've said, things they've done. There's all kinds of ways of pushing that off, denying that, pressing that down. But the answer is this, you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. And as Drew said so well last week, as land is on the move, 
the church is moving. Look at this. We're in Fort Wayne. Now, we get to take this story to our section. And the church is moving forward. It's our job to proclaim the good news in Fort Wayne, particularly that Christ died and his sins can be forgiven. I want to have the worship team come, if you would, please. Worship team, come on up. Um, here's what I want to just encourage you with this morning. God is going to use you. Look at me. God is going to use you, Redemption Bible Church, Fort Wayne to help the story of the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ get to a lost and dying world. He is using you, and he's going to use you. It's scary, right? When I start to say, let's preach the gospel to our neighbors, like, uh, that's really freaky. They may not like me if I do that. And will they hear? Will they listen? Will I get rejected? Yes, you will get rejected, but some will hear, and some will listen, and our part of the expansion of the kingdom of God through the preaching of the word can happen if we just get fired up and we do it, and we commit to being God's kind of a church, a church that is committed to unity, devoted to prayer, passionate about the word, and understanding our partnership, and we're going to invite people, would you come? Would you come? Would you be a part of this? We're going to ask the Lord, would you bring revival? And we'll see what he will do. So, Father, we ask this all in your name. We pray that you would do this for your glory. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. And we'll give you the praise for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.